I dragged it out long enough, Scott, that maybe you'll make it during the first segment instead of being late <laughs> after. It's funny. He sent me a, a, a thing saying he was going to be late probably after the the first segment, and I just wrote back, pick it up, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Miller's here. He uh, is a, a pastor. His calling is to work with incarcerated people, and he's out at the Tucker unit most of the time. And then uh, Steve Hess is here. He works with Agape. He's a pastor as well, and his is is uh, education. Yeah, I'm more of a of a teacher. I did pastor for a while, and I still think I have a pastoral teaching. Is pastoring? Calling. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe a, not making hospital visits or whatever, but I bet you you do that too when you hear about it. Oh yeah, and go to prison. I'm just saying, yep. and he goes yep. to the prison to do that as well. I just got an answer from Scott. It's a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's picking it up we got some interesting questions today they sound simple however the answers probably are kind of complex may take yeah. some time to answer these so let's get it underway right now um, our first questioner says i was hoping you could answer a question that has been bugging me for a while now how do i find the will of god for my life what's my purpose why am i here anyway i must i know that there must be something that god wants me to do but i just can't seem to find it so i'll leave that with you guys go ahead when i normally when people normally ask me that question i always ask them what's their natural inclination right what do they like to do um for example if i didn't um before i felt called to the um, the ministry um, I thought when I retired from the military that I'd become like a high school teacher. I always had a draw and an interest in teaching for some reason, even though I was a horrific student uh, in school, but it's just something that was I was naturally drawn to. Uh, I spent the majority of my career in the military as an instructor and or an evaluator. Um, so I tend to tell people, just find out what you're naturally drawn to do and then see where that fits in the kingdom of heaven, because I believe that's God built us to do certain things, um, to function in certain ways. And I think that you would find that wherever it is that you're inclined to go is probably what the spirit of God is leading you and drawing you to do. Unless you just have an absolute moment, um, where the voice of God is so clear, but I still think it will line up with a natural disposition that you have. Yep. No, that would, that would absolutely be my answer as well. Um, God has given you certain gifts and certain talents uh, and the you know the the thing that I'm always talking to my children about is how to use your gifts and talents to serve the Lord um, all of my children are musically inclined so all of them are involved in in choir and in um, doing music at the church so, uh, a couple of them are technologically uh, inclined and therefore they help run sound and that sort of thing um, so the answer is uh, find what it is you do naturally 
find what it is that you have this gift for anyway, and then find a way to apply it in the kingdom. And that does not necessarily mean um, applying that in a church. Uh, matter of fact, yeah. if the only place you're doing, the only place you're using your gifts um, for God is inside of a church, then you are failing the calling. Um, you should be finding a way to reach beyond the, the, the four walls of your church and um, reach those out there who are um, not yet a, a part of the kingdom. So um, outreach and, and and that can be that can be super simple. That that can be as as simple as um, greeting uh, people uh, appropriately and cheerfully every time you see them, uh, so that they see that there's something different about you. Um, but you know, being a representative for Christ, you are uh, an ambassador in this world of Christ. So um, I think that um, think that about sums that up. Okay, I guess the other thing that I would ask about this is that is there a feeling amongst people who are in church, all right? Now, I'm right. talking about Jesus believers, okay, and in church. And just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a Jesus believer Absolutely. I mean, or a Jesus follower. you got to be more than just, I believe, just a believer. you got to mm-hmm. be a follower uh, of Jesus Christ. And you've touched on it. It's, you know, a lot of people think, well, whatever gift that God's going to give me, it's going to have something big to do with his kingdom. You know, I'm going to be able to preach or I'm going to be able to lead people to Christ or whatever. When in fact, he gives us gifts uh, that we take into everyday life. For instance, I do broadcasting. It is the gift that I have and that, that, uh, that God has given to me. Now, the scriptures tell me, that everything that I do, I do to the glory of God. Now that means that I've I've got to, you know that that's that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's right, right. Here's a, here's the part that people miss. People think that um, where they're supposed to arrive is at a church ministry someplace. That right. they are supposed yes. to be a pastor. That they're supposed to be a youth pastor, or a worship leader, or pick any job or ministry within church but when we look at the fivefold ministry out of the book of ephesians people forget the latter part of the ministry let everybody know and it says um and he gave himself some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers and they go well that's it no 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 for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry their job is to prepare the people to go do the ministry. That is the biggest fault. One and of what many. is the ministry? It could be anything. It's everybody outside of those four right, walls. Right. That's what we are supposed to be doing is equipping people to go into the hospitals, in the prisons, in the workplaces, in the schoolyards, and the government, and every other place that we are supposed to be. That is the place for ministry. People have the idea that they just pay the pastors and they do the ministry, and that's not it. It is supposed to be the people are to go do the ministry all right, right. anything else you want to ask that billy no i I'm, I'm perfectly on board with that answer um that is that is absolutely the mission the mission is to uh, always be involved in outreach uh, if you're not constantly trying to reach people then um and, and look none of us are constantly trying to reach people so we are all falling short but uh if you're if your heart's desire is not for the uh unsaved then you've you've missed the call of christ yeah, well, that, that's the key. The key is, what's the first thing Christ told the disciples? Go. No. Yep. Go. Get out of here. Yeah, tell everybody. <laughs> tell them the good news. All right. 
Um, okay, next question from this person, question B, and mm-hmm. it goes with question A. How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You guys talk so casually about it that it must be second nature to you. <laughs> Help. Let me just say something. Last night, I was praying. Mm-hmm. I got bad news yesterday. I was sharing it with Billy and, and with Steve earlier today. And I got some bad news. And I'm going to be honest. I started talking to God, and I, it felt kind of dry. Yeah. It mm-hmm. felt kind of dry. And, and by that, I mean I was talking, but I wasn't hearing anything coming back. Right. And that happens at times. You know, now I don't know if there's something that, you know, God wants me to look at in my life or whatever it is. And that's what it ended up being at by the end is me saying, you know, I'm going to put my trust in you, Lord. Right. right. Tell me, you know, if you would, please, because I'm a why guy, you know, why is this happening and what are you trying to teach me? Because from what I understand from scriptures, when these things happen, these these bad things in your life happen. They come to teach something. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear, Scott, so I let didn't. me just, I'll just tell you, I'll tell everybody on the air while I'm doing it. I've been told I got an infection again in my foot. Right. I'm back on a pick line. They oh. put it in yesterday. I'm sorry about that. So they told me two two weeks on that, right? But I had to go have an MRI on Friday, and I did that, and Dr. Uh, Ardawan called and left a message for me and said it is his opinion that I probably should have my second toe amputated. Mm. And uh, so I go see my wound doctor. Today. I got three, three, what I consider specialists yeah. working on me. And uh, I want them all to put their heads together. And if they tell me I got to lose a toe, then I'll lose a toe. But it seems to me that like puts me back to square number one again. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to know why, Yeah, you know, I don't, don't think that's wrong to ask of no, God. No, no. So that I was petitioning him yesterday. Right. It's no why. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have chimed in on this or not. Nope. Not yet. Um, well, that's an important. Obviously, it's an important question to ask, especially if you're in you know, the condition that you're in. I think that you have. We have to be able to discern what is what is happening from from God, but also. If we're being under attack from the enemy, so that's not, true. So not everything that happens in our life is just God's will. A lot of it is uh, the enemy attacking us, and then we have to position ourselves to fight our way through that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and the way we do that primarily is we go to the scripture and see: Can I find in the scripture anything that would actually answer this question? And then beyond that, I take that scripture to the Lord and I begin to seek Him um, about those things. So um, that that would be a place that I would start, and I think that if I was in your 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 place, Dave, I would probably position myself to to fight uh, to um, I'll be rebuking infection. I would be commanding my my toe to be uh, healthy. No, I'd be commanding the infection to die. Just standing in faith until I'm confronted with something different that I have to make a a, a decision about. Okay, yeah, because I've had I've had infections before, and the doctor said we don't know how you got this. Um, I don't know if you guys remember back a few months ago, I had um, had an infection. I was uh, I was fighting, and every day, so I I, I I'll, kind of, I'll open this up to everybody. So for about the past um, six months, every day when I start my my time with the Lord, I read 
at least the first five verses of Isaiah 53. And it's just about him bearing our sicknesses, bearing our uh, our disease by stripes. I'm healed. I read them in English. I read them in Hebrew. I say them in English. I say them in Hebrew. I just over and over and over again because I know that the Bible says that he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from all our flesh. The Bible says that his word uh, is, is health to all our flesh. So I continue to stand that that infection is not going to uh, uh, to come back on me. Amen. Yeah. A lot of people forget that remedy, if you will. Um, they look for some, I don't know what to say, some magic formula. Well, what was the formula that Jesus used? As soon as he was confronted by the enemy, he quoted the scripture yeah. to right. the enemy. And so that is should be the first thing, like Pastor Scott was saying, is if it's sickness, then you should be quoting all of the sickness verses. If it's depression, then you should be quoting all the joy verses. Uh, if it's family, you should be quoting all the verses about restoration and reminding God of all of his promises, because that's one of the things he says to do is to remind me. Yeah. So we remind him, and then we also declare into the heavens the things that we expect to have happen, um, and that should be our response. And it, it should also be... The response to the other part of that uh, question, which was, how do you hear the voice of God? Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Here's here's the question. The question is, how do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You guys talk so casually about it that it must be second nature to you. Oh, wow. Well, that that um, that's a a, a big topic. Well, here's a funny thing is uh, yesterday I spent the day in the woods um, doing that very thing. Um, just getting away from everything and just being still and being quiet. Um, because for me, that is absolutely necessary is to get away uh, and not have any distractions whatsoever. And how you learn that voice um, is by spending time with him. And then you will yeah. learn because for everybody, it's different. Um, some people hear his voice like a thought. Some people hear his voice like a moving um, is, is a, I forget the guy who coined the phrase, but you'll know in your knower. It's in that stomach yeah. region. It's in that view. Mm-hmm. And you'll just know and you'll feel that the Spirit of God is saying something to you. Uh, for me, it's actually how I see things. I read things um, and how I see things, whether it be in the scriptures or how I see in people. Um, and I see that oftentimes I'll, I'll feel like the Spirit of God is asking me what I see. Yeah. Um, and when I see it a situation, and that's actually how he's speaking to me and revealing something to me. So for everybody, it's different. Uh, but the first place that God speaks clearly is in his word. word. Amen. And so if you go, hey, God, should I go feed the hungry? Well, you don't need an answer to that because it says to do so in his word. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, Scott, we'll let you pick up because you went, ooh, that is a deep coming. <laughs> I'm a sorry I was late. Okay. I, I just Did you like my answer? Yeah. First, I didn't know what it meant, <laughs> <laughs> but I gave a thumbs up thinking it meant to hurry. Yeah. <laughs> pick it up, Skippy. All right. We got to take a break uh, here at 101.1 FM, The Answer, home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. Back with you. How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? We've talked about that some, and uh, I guess we are guilty of talking kind of casually about uh, the holy spirit and the voice of the holy spirit because this person said well that must be just second nature to you guys you know i'm I'm kind of like steve you know i want to hear from god so i seek god right. and i think that if you want to hear from god and you seek god you'll hear from god you'll hear from the holy spirit mm-hmm. well we know that uh, the word says if we uh if we seek him then we find him and actually the word does say says seek the Lord while He may be found. There are certain moments in time where you have a sensation of His closeness, but mm-hmm. He's always He's always there. And we know that the Word tells us that if we uh, if we knock, then it's opened. If we ask, then He then He answers to us. 
Um, but like Steve said, it, it's it's different for everybody. But um, but I think the, the the goal is to be able to to have an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. with the Lord, so that at a moment's notice we can uh, we can hear Him. You know, cause sometimes things require you to act immediately, and you don't have three months to fast and and pray and and read. So there needs to be a an awareness and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're just as an example, if you're, you know, if uh, if Dave calls me on the phone, you know, the first few times he called, he would have to say, "Hey, Scott, this is Dave." Mm-hmm. But now he can call me, and he doesn't have to introduce himself because I recognize his voice. Right. And I think if with God, it's kind of that way. You have to get to know the voice and get to know the the thought in your head or what you're seeing or that impression. One thing the Lord used to do with me is when He was training me, you know, I would be sitting there and I would begin to get a sensation in my heart, something the Lord was saying to me in a few seconds later, the pastor would say that very same thing. And the Lord was saying, mark that feeling, mm. mark that. So I, I began to learn, oh, that was the, that's the Lord talking to me. And then right, he would confirm right. it. And, and so you kind of walk and grow in these things. It's not like a, you know, it's just not like, not just like switching, you know, flipping on a switch. Maybe for some people it is, but for me, it was a, uh, it was the Lord training me and teaching me how to hear a spirit. Really, this is a, this is a full seminar teaching here. Yeah, you can yeah. do, uh, but uh, in the short, yeah. So for me, um, for me, it is the impression of a voice. Uh, it, it's not a, it's not an audible voice, but um, you know, it, it's almost like I have just heard something, and then I'm aware that I have heard that. So, uh, and and mine generally happens. I, I spend a lot of time. I used to spend a whole lot of time driving, and for me, I will. Uh, I guess one of the best things that ever happened to me is that I. I inadvertently destroyed the uh, radio in my car at one point. So I didn't have any audio in my vehicle, which means I drove silently. And that became, I've always, in in times of real need, I would just get in the car and start driving and talking to the Lord. And for me, that is, um, when you're driving two hours a day back and forth to work, that's a lot of time to spend uh, talking to God and Mm -hmm. listening. Um, So that is, Anytime that I'm really desperate to hear the, the voice of God, that's what I do. I go get in the car and start driving um, and, and listening. And for me, it's that impression of a voice, um, the, the knowledge that I've already heard something, mm-hmm. and, and therefore, okay, that, that's the way God speaks to me. So, yeah. and if I ever have cloudiness, I just spend time praying in the spirit for a while yeah. to kind of yeah. get rid of the cloudiness, so I can uh, hear. But can I ask, how do you inadvertently? destroy a radio in your car so i i said i and and it was i in the fact that i loaned a vehicle to a friend and uh, they left the headlights on and ran the battery down and when they went to jump it they turned the cables backwards oh so fry they, uh, you f- they fried they, your radio they fried my radio yeah. Yeah. in my mind i was seeing you just beating the radio no, and screaming at no, it and, no. okay all right all right we need to get a break in let's do that when we come back what about laying of hands We'll talk about that. It just happened in the studio. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right now, it's time for Rush Limbaugh and his morning update. Let's get to that. 25 minutes till 8. It's 40, 48 degrees outside right now. It was nice yesterday afternoon. It was. Man, I walked out from work here, heading over uh, to see, well, heading over to, to Baptist North Little Rock, and so put that pick line in. And it was like, wow, man, this is really nice. Mm-hmm. It was like 63 degrees. It mm-hmm. was beautiful. High about 58 today, so it's going to be just as, almost just as pretty as it was uh, yesterday. All right, here's your question. How do you guys feel about laying on of hands? I know that Jesus did it quite a bit, but I also know that most churches 
don't do that anymore. Do you believe we should do that today? If so, why? If not, why not? Kind of interesting as I grew up, in, you know, because I grew up kind of in the church. Uh, and it was funny because my dad was not a believer. Mm-hmm. My mother was because her she was saved when she was young. Her father was a Southern Baptist minister. But uh, my father wasn't. But he made sure we boys were at church every Sunday. Mm. He, he thought there was something that we needed to learn there. Um, and a lot of it went back, as I talked to him later in life, went back to what he had saw in World War II. So with that with all that all exposed to all of you, as I tell you, I'm transparent on the show. I tell you about my life. But mm. the bottom line is, is that I remember laying of hands all the time. I remember mm. when somebody was called to be a preacher, they'd go up front. And they'd have a group of preachers there, and they'd lay their hands on them. And uh, you know, people would come up, prayer requests, they'd lay yeah, their hands yeah, on really. them. And you don't see that now. I, I agree with that. We don't see it. You know, come up and have some people pray with you, but you don't hear let them, you know, the preacher coming out and saying, I'm going to lay hands on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So explain what's going on, Scott. Well, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I believe in laying on of hands. I mean, it's all through the Scripture. Uh, it's not just a... Um, something that belongs to the church world. I mean, it's always been, right. we see it always happening throughout. Um, I mean, the Lord had, for example, the, the patriarchs always laid hands upon their children. Uh, they bless them. Uh, the Jewish people to this day lay hands upon their children every Sabbath day. They bless them. Uh, God had the priests lay hands upon the heads of the offerings uh, uh, as, a, as a, a contact for our association with the sin of transference. So the idea of laying out of hands has been throughout the uh, throughout the word of God. Uh, when Jesus showed up, of course, he's always laying hands on the on the sick, and then it tells us in um, in a, a Hebrews chapter six, it talks about what what the Bible calls the. It says um, these are the foundational principles of Christ. There's certain doctrines, and one of the doctrines of the foundational principles of Christ is the laying on of hands. So, uh, and you can lay hands on for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and one thing you mentioned about uh, as a Baptist, seeing people lay hands on like someone's being ordained in the yes. ministry. I grew up as a Southern Baptist, and that's the only time in my church that I ever saw laying out of hands. If someone was being ordained, people would lay hands on, but there was never laying hands on for, for healing. healing. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, but at the same time, they tell us that we follow Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, but uh, but unfortunately, yeah, the whole laying out of hands for the sick has gone away, and I think it's gone away partly because a lot of these denominational churches don't believe in healing anymore, right? right. and so they just avoid that particular thing, but most definitely, I believe in it. Yeah, and and uh, I come from a Pentecostal background. Uh, I've been Pentecostal my entire life. I mean, some of my earliest memories are laying on of hands. So people seeing people slain in the spirit, yeah. and that's something that a young kid is very impressed by. So um, very impressioned, uh, ha- having had an impression upon me. So um, yeah, I, I've I am quick to lay hands on most individuals. Now uh, I had to apologize to someone recently uh, after. Um, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, there was a a woman who wanted to be um, prayed for. And I, I, as a personal thing, I don't generally lay hands on any woman other than my wife. That's just something that uh, is a personal thing in my life. But uh, it scripture calls for it. Um, We believe what scripture has to say. And therefore, now I, I, I do caution people at times. There are certain times when I think it's inappropriate for some individuals to lay hands on other individuals. If we're dealing with a um, potential uh, demonic oppression or something like that, and, and I don't think the person is spiritually in the right place just because of what I know about them, uh, I might wave them off because the last thing in the world you want is someone who is not prayed up 
laying hands on someone where there might be demonic possession going on. Um, I, I caution people there. Uh, I would also caution that you never flippantly lay hands on someone. I mean, that's a serious moment. You're, you're interceding on their behalf. Um, so it shouldn't be something that we do casually. Um, but it is certainly something we should be doing. All right. So is it like allowing yourself to act as a channel between the person that you're praying for and God? Is that what it is? Um, I think the phrase point of contact you use more frequently is probably a better way because um, I know you didn't mean it by the terminology, but Chandler would give the idea that somehow that it's flowing through you. Yeah. And and though there's an aspect of that, it's more of a, I think of a contact of faith. Yeah. That is what you're doing there. Okay. And the Bible doesn't really specifically give us the reason why it just says to do it. Right. And so um, how that works out in the spirit, but um yeah, I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, because I'm filled with the Spirit. Yeah, right. right. So I'm laying my hands on that person. Yeah. I feel like that's got to have some effect. Now, somebody out there might be saying, but I know a verse of Scripture that says, lay hands upon no man suddenly. And okay. there is a verse that does say that. Uh, but that's, if I'm not mistaken, that's in reference to actually ordaining Correct. someone into the ministry. Right. Correct. It doesn't have to do with uh, touching someone for the purpose of uh, healing or laying hands on the purpose of someone for uh, for. For prayer. Yeah, so why did we move away from it, do you believe, in the church today? Well, I think that some of it is reactionary. Like, we don't want to be like those people because we right. think they're extreme. Right. And okay. they do these things, so we're not going to do them. Um, uh, the Jewish people have done the same thing. Their, their Rabbi Akiva, um, one of the great rabbis of the, of the Jewish faith, he used to worship so wildly. Um, but it was said of him, they said, we don't like, the other scribe said, we don't like the way Rabbi Akiva worships because when he does it, he looks like the Nutzrim. He looks like the Christians. No. So they began to change the way they worship because they didn't want to look like the Nutzrim or the, or the believers in the Messiah. And I think a lot of times other denominations do it. It's a reactionary thing. But then I also think that when their doctrine changes, right. they just stop. They stop believing in healing, so they don't lay hands on people anymore. Um, and I remember being on, on an airplane flying to Israel, and it was a plane full of believers going to Israel. Mm-hmm. And and it was my first trip. I was probably 17 years old. And there was a group on there, and they were clapping and singing and praising the Lord. And someone had a tambourine. And I was with the denominational group, and we weren't doing any of that. <laughs> yeah, could those people please, in Section 5, <laughs> calm down? And, and, and the guy beside me, an older gentleman, leaned over and he said, those will be the charismatics. <laughs> and so, and so it, was, it was almost, it was almost like, you know, that they, you know, that's what they do, right. but we don't. It was almost a, a reactionary thing. And that, that may not be everybody else's idea, but right. I think that's a part, a part of it. Well, your doctrine and your belief drives what you do. And so if you don't believe that certain things are for today, then you'll stop doing the practices that yeah. are associated with those things. Yeah. yeah. And I think those, those two explanations are, are absolutely sum the entire thing up. It, it's an, it's a desire to segregate ourselves for whatever reason, uh, as well as simply, I mean, when you've got um, ordained gay ministers who don't believe Jesus was a real person and don't believe that there is a God, uh, and you call yourself the minister, the past senior pastor of a Christian church, I, sure, laying on of hands is, is minimal at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've gotten, so many churches have gotten so far away from um, God that um, laying on of hands becomes a really secondary or tertiary sort of issue, yeah. um, unfortunately. Okay. I'm just going to give you three minutes on this next question, oh, wow. but you need a whole show. <laughs> okay. right. Thank you, Dave. All right. Uh, I was reading the book of Revelation, and it mentions <laughs> the number of the beast as 666. 
Uh, can you help me understand that? There is so much on the Internet, but I can't trust it because there is so many different opinions. Right. Help. Three minutes. Huh? Three minutes. Yeah, we Three can help minutes. you out with that. <laughs> Come uh, to Agape. Yeah. Uh, no, we can't help you out with that. That's how we help you out with it. Yeah, there, there are innumerable answers to that question. Right. Um, we will not know how any potential future fulfillment of that looks like until it happens. Is it really important to know? <sighs> I, I, if the Bible says it, something that is important, um, but how much time we spend over that? Because um, we don't know what it's going to look like. Right. I mean, well, saying, 20, twenty years yeah. ago, when I when I first got saved, I was hearing everybody running around talking about how barcodes. Yeah. Uh, have a six in the beginning, That's a right. six in the middle, and a six at the end. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan Wilson was 666. William Jefferson Clifton was 666. And all this other foolishness that was all over the Internet. Um, and we just won't know until it manifests. But I will tell you, you might want to sit down, yeah. there was a fulfillment of that in the first century known as Nero Caesar. His name means 666, and he was the prime persecutor of those in the church yep. from around 63 to 66. So, so it could be historical. It could have yeah, been. Yeah. I, I believe it has a dualistic, dualistic fulfillment, yeah. that, okay. there, that, that he was a picture of what an anti-Messiah was going to look <laughs> like, and just as his name meant something numerically, it will mean something numerically in yep. the future. I like what you just said. It was a dualistic, yes. because people want it to be one or the other. Yeah, yeah one and done. That's they want the, it history or they want it in prophecy. That's the next thing I'm getting ready but, to work on, and but, that's a very important aspect to but, study. But that's that's very much a Hebraic concept, that, that, that prophecy has a cyclical nature to it. Right. And the whole idea with uh, Nero, uh, Caesar being that number, deals with the fact that Hebrew is also a numerical language, so every letter in Hebrew is also a number. And the book, and so you can take Nero, Caesar, and that's what it comes out to, uh, that number. But also the book of Revelation is probably the most Hebrew book of the entire Bible. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It was almost like a book written in code mm. that it could circulate among the Christians. If a Roman ever got it, he would look at it and say fantasy stuff and pass it on without stopping it because it made no sense to any of them. But when the Christians got it, when they put it into Hebrew, it made a lot more sense to them. They could get the message that was being there on the day. And it does not mean the author Brown was no. correct. Right. right. does not mean no, that. No. Just let you know and that. Tom Hanks really can't just figure it out. No, he can't. It doesn't <laughs> no. work out that way. All right, when we come back, and we'll have one more segment with the Bible guys, and Billy's here, Scott's here, Steve is here. Uh, you always hear people say you should go to church wearing your very Sunday best. Is there anything in Scripture that backs that up? And a great question from a listener, is socialism a religion? We'll talk about all of that when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, The Answer, the home of the Rush Limbaugh Show. It is uh, about 14 minutes till 8 and 48 degrees. All right, back. Final segment with the Bible guys. Got some interesting questions here. A little bit away from, uh, you know, the whole thing about, uh, you know, what does the Bible say about this or that? This is about what does the Bible say. However, it's something, it's like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. You've sure. heard, we've all heard that. Uh, how about this? Is there a scripture pertaining to your Sunday best? You've heard that before. Oh, yeah. You should always wear your Sunday best. Whatever you, your clothing is, that's the best you got. That's what you should wear. Is there anything in scripture to validity, you know, for validity of that? And, you know, I don't think you're going to find chapter and verse. What you're going to find is the principle. 
and the principle right. was probably taken from the idea of the priest and how they presented themselves before God. And I think the idea is that um, now that we have become a kingdom of priests, that when we come before God, that we should prepare ourselves, wash ourselves, dress nice, and that that kind of mentality. Yeah. It it turns into um, a super religious thing where then all of a sudden we look at, upon those who maybe don't have their Sunday best as someone who's not holy and righteous before God. Turn that into, um, I guess, a religious tradition. Yeah, and, and I probably would have gone back even further than that. I, I probably would have gone back to Cain and Abel because I think that some of this, uh, making sure you bring the best offering before the Lord, um, comes even from there. So really the the very, you go all the way back to the very foundation. And we can we can take things that are um, biblical and twist them um, through tradition so that that best offering also becomes making sure we look the best that we can. And, and there's there's definitely some validity there. You should not come to church. Um, well, come in whatever condition you are first. Be there. But you should take the time to, you know, present yourself clean and um, ready. Um, and, and part of that comes, uh, part of that is not being a distraction to those around you. Um you come to church stinking. I'm sorry, but you're going to be a uh, distraction. You get the back row. You get the back row. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and and don't if you come in that condition, um, don't feel bad if people aren't quick to lay hands on you when you need prayer. So, but in in all seriousness, um, come as you are. But uh, that that should be the best that you can offer to the Lord. Yeah, I have a. Uh, if anyone would like to go into, um, if you go to YouTube, uh, you can go to um, Pastor Scott Stewart. I have a, a YouTube channel there. And I encourage you to subscribe to that. But I have a I have a video in there. There's asked about it asked a question. What is uh what is the right apparel for for church? Uh, and the guys are right. There's not a um, a verse that says anything about Sunday best. Uh, first of all, the idea of Sunday worship didn't even yeah, exist. Yeah. Uh, at, you know, until about the fourth century. Uh, but um, beyond that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Bible does say the the, the mode of dress that the Bible does talk about. It talks about modest dress. Right. Uh, there's nothing about, and, and plus it's so arbitrary because, you know, if I have a tuxedo in my closet, then that's the best clothes I have. So mm-hmm. do I wear a tuxedo every Sunday. If Dave's best thing is, uh, you know, a um, flip flops and cutoffs, is, is that what he wears every Sunday? Look at it this way. <clears throat> if you were going to go on a first date with a girl, and you're gonna you how would you dress? You would put a lot a little effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're gonna go to be in the house of the king, if you're gonna go to be meet with your your father, you're going to at least as you know as Billy said, you're gonna look at least smell nice, look, look nice. You're gonna put out an effort. But does that mean wearing three piece every day in a fedora? Uh, no, but it just certainly means um, honoring God with your with your with your, with your modesty and honoring God. With Here's what, what I heard. Scott will be wearing a tuxedo to church. Yeah. That's what I heard. That's what hey, I heard. He, he wears a kilt every now and again. Yeah. That's yeah. the equivalent. Did wear okay. a kilt a few but weeks ago. I would, I would say um, two things. One, we got the privilege to have uh, the Passover at the governor's place about four years ago or mm-hmm. five years ago. And um, we uh, we spent a little extra money getting all nicety up right. to go to the governor. <laughs> if we're going to do that for the governor's house, then maybe we should do it for the king's Come on house. Now. Uh, the other thing, though, is there's this there's this mentality, though, that if you dress nice, it's a false piety. And so we have this idea that, well, if you're more casual in your dress and your approach, then you're more spiritual than those who dress up. And, and that's that's gives a false impression that somehow if I'm a little more laissez faire in my dress, that I'm actually more spiritual than those who wear a suit. And I think that's the opposite of those who would judge those who were who did dress that way. So I think we need to be careful with either side of that. But my personal view is. 
I think we should look a little bit nicer and dress a little bit nicer with the idea that we're coming before the king. I think it's also important that we don't we understand that what we think is Sunday best may not be what Sunday best of another person is. Right. I yeah. mean, some people right. think that if you're not there in slacks and a, a dress shirt and a tie or suit and tie, you're not your Sunday best. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that can't. I don't even have a tie anymore. Yeah. I've had people, um, when I first um, became the associate pastor at Agape Church, I was there for four months as the associate before I became the senior pastor. And the first Sunday I was there, I, mean, I, was, in, I was in full suit. We had visitors come to the back room. This guy came in his first time at the church. He was dressed in a regular shirt, jeans, and his first words out of his mouth was, I'm so sorry for the way I'm dressed. Uh-huh. He began to apologize. Yeah. I felt horrible. Yep. That he would be doing something like that. Because what can happen here is all of a sudden this becomes quickly a tradition of man. And then right. we have this what we call clothesline preaching. You have whole <laughs> sermons about how you should be dressed and what you should be driving and what you, how you yep. should be living, yep. what you should be living in. You know, and it, it quickly becomes a mess. Yep. Okay. Modest, get, modest dress, honoring God. Let me get in our last question. And we may pick this up next week. Okay. Socialism. Is it a religion? Got to know a little bit about socialism <laughs> to be able to answer this. What's the basis of socialism, Steve? You know uh, that we all take care of one another. Okay. The definition, one of the definitions of religion, mm-hmm. is the pursuit or an interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Okay. And if so, if someone uh, thinks that socialism is the, if that's the most important issue for them, then it certainly has become a uh, yeah. a religion. Okay. To them. It's like climate change to other people and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So this is one of those things I spent several weeks talking about out the prison, which is idolatry uh, and the fact that idolatry doesn't always look like um, building a statue and bowing down in front of it. Anything that we elevate above God becomes an idol in our lives. And absolutely, since socialism by and large eliminates God. It's the absence um, of God. And and relies solely on man, then it absolutely becomes, um, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, it absolutely becomes an idol in our lives. And therefore it becomes a a religion in and of itself. So um, there's no no doubt that, you know, pantheism Mm. and the worship of nature is a huge problem in our country. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. And that's a false religion. Folks. Absolutely. Well, and some people take the idea that when the apostles had all thing in common and they shared with one another, that that was the idea. And though I do believe that's probably a good b- biblical principle, um, it only works in a perfectly pure, yeah. godly run environment. Mm-hmm. Because so I- any time man has a chance to be dominating or greedy, he will do so unless he's governed by God. Yeah, but, so but the I've difference got- between Christianity and socialism is that the socialist says there is no god right man can be perfect mm. and so i'm going to tell i'm going to tell you that uh, we can do this when in fact no man is perfect i don't think that's yeah. i don't i'm i'm going to disagree with you there because there's a lot of socialists who will use jesus as yep. an example of taking care of the poor but and not the as needy. a divine personality it may not but they they'll look at what he did as the first socialist as yep. the first um social justice warrior so they they'll believe in a, in a in a religious sense but they'll misuse it yeah yep. i don't even think they're believing it in a religious sense mm-hmm. i would say communist is probably more of an accurate of what you're saying yeah yep. well socialist is socialism is nothing more than the bridge between capitalism communism. and communism. Yeah. i agree, sure. I agree. And that's I, exactly and what it is over 
20 some odd years in socialist countries. Well, I, we'll talk I, more I, about it. Go ahead. Do I have like 30 it. seconds? I got 30 to, seconds. I got to spend um, a couple <laughs> weeks in Croatia in 2008 teaching, and I got to meet a Good. man, and and uh, he went by the name Yapa, and it probably meant you know a grandfather or father. And he drove for the Russians for 30 years. He drove like a Russian general around. And he sat there, and when he began to speak on the boat that day, everybody shut up and listened to this old man. He talked about how good it was that the Americans were there and and because of what we bring to their country and how bad their country was when they lived underneath Mm -hmm. communism. And those are the kind of people that need to have a voice who lived under it for 30 years. Yes. We've had socialists standing up and saying, you don't want Bernie Sanders, and people ain't listening. All they're hearing is, free and like i've said you know sanders says that uh, bloomberg's trying to buy the election well that's what sanders is trying to do but he's trying to buy it with your money that's right guys thanks so much for being with us today on the dave ellswick show we appreciate it we'll see you next tuesday remember your questions bible guys at salemlr.com